Before we begin today's story, I want to take a moment to talk about how you can support this show and the work being done with the project. Everything I do is in joyful service of the same goal, to help people connect with their shared lived experiences so that we may heal together from the inside out. Asking for money, or any help for that matter, is not something that comes naturally to me, especially when I have a paying job and people naturally might assume that I can keep up with the pace. So instead of burning myself out, I'm practicing what I preach and asking for the support I need to keep going. In order to justify the time it takes to write and produce this podcast and its accompanying newsletter, I'm asking for your support. Your subscription for $5 a month, and that's it, makes it all possible. If you're a free subscriber, you get my weekly story project newsletter and my What's Your Story podcast episodes for free delivered right to your inbox without doing anything at all. And it's important to me that everyone who wants access to my content can get it, regardless of their means. But if you're looking for something specific, more personal and connected, then upgrading your subscription for $5 a month is the way to do it. You get everything that I've already listed above, plus an added new layer of interactive features beyond the typical podcast offerings of ad-free listening, such as full access to my regular subscriber Q&As, where each week I answer a handful of reader questions about mental and physical health, as well as share some of the deeper details from the stories you hear right here on the podcast. You get periodic Google Meet Hangouts with me, bonus episodes of this podcast, and the ability to pitch stories and or ideas for the newsletter. Not to mention access to my full archive of content and other fun extras like live chat sessions and more. Buckle up, because becoming a paid member of this newsletter and its accompanying podcast is now the best way to support my content and to become a more active part of the storyteller community. And even without using any of the new features I listed, becoming a paid subscriber means that you're committing to helping me grow this platform and share stories in order to bring people closer together and collectively heal from whatever troubles us. I keep feeling like I'm almost past my grief, and then it hits me all over again. I don't think I'm doing this right. That sound familiar? How often have you questioned whether or not you were grieving right? I've heard some form of these sentiments from every person I've ever supported through grief, every story I've helped retell, every single one. And my response is always the same. There is no right or wrong way to grieve, and there is no expiration date on grief. We've talked about grief before on the show, and we've heard multiple stories. And the overall Western view on grief is that it is something that you passively experience over about a, a year after a loved one dies. You're supposed to progress from a starting phase, continue through subsequent levels, and by the end, your grief should be complete. Once you've neatly gone through each distinct stage, you can carry on with your life. In actuality, though, Grief is a participation sport, it has no rules, no linear timeline, and again, no expiration date. You see, contrary to popular belief, time does not heal everything. Rather, you learn how to move forward in your new reality through active engagement and letting things be, well, messy. This week, I want you to meet my good friend Matt, someone who had to face the tragic loss of his mother at the age of eight and decades later, the loss of his grandmother, leaving him to ask that same question, am I failing at grieving? And then ultimately turning that thought into a shift in his own life, one he soon realized we all go through. So from Fragile Moments and Not Today Media, I'm your host, JD, and this is story number 46 of the What's Your Story podcast. Life shift.
Hey, I am Matt and I am the host and producer and all that stuff of the Life Shift podcast. And I'm just going to stick with that as my career because mm -hmm. I think my entire life journey and what we're going to talk about today has brought me to this point and who I am and what I'm able to put into the world now because of my story. So I'm going to stick with I'm a podcaster and the Life Shift podcast is is my jam. It's a good stick. I mean, you know, I mean, it's kind of like, what do you call it? Like manifest destiny. And it's like, that's, that's what it is. And then you look that's back right. and be like, Hey, I, I said it right now. And that's when it became, yeah, <laughs> it's true. A thing. Got to lean so, into that. So where does your story begin? Matt? Well, just like everyone's story, it begins when I was born, but it was a rainy <laughs> Tuesday. No. Uh, let's see. When I was a kid, the big event in my life happened as a kid. And so I had, Pretty much from the only time that I can remember, my family was a fractured family. And to me, in that perspective, that was just what it was. It wasn't sad. It wasn't, oh my gosh. But my parents divorced around the time I was like six years old. So I didn't really remember life with both parents together. And so yeah. that was just normal for me. And a lot of people I talk to now that have experienced divorce in their family, it's more traumatic. But mine was just... That's what it was. That's what happened, my grandparents yeah. were divorced before <laughs> I was born. My parents were divorced before I really remember. And so that was my life growing up. And I, my primary parent, I guess, was my mother. And so I lived with her full time. And I would see my dad on the weekends or every other weekend. And then we mm -hmm. would go to McDonald's every Wednesday, which super important in the 80s. Got to get those <laughs> French fries. And, and so my life was fairly normal for me. And when I was eight, the summer that I was eight, my dad moved to Georgia from Massachusetts. We lived in Massachusetts. I lived there with my mom. My dad lived there as well. He got a job in Georgia. I believe he thought it was just going to be kind of this temporary thing that he would be mm. there for maybe a year or two. I would see him on holidays. It wasn't really a big thing. I don't remember it being too traumatic. Yeah. But he moved to Georgia. I thought it was kind of cool. I got to go help him move in and whatnot. And my first plane flight. And that was back when everyone could go through security and everyone could stand by the gate. <laughs> and, you know, so things were cool. And I went back over the summer because as kids, you have, what, 10 weeks off. And so I yeah. spent most of the summer with my father. And while I was gone, my mom and her boyfriend were going to go on their second cross-country like motorcade type trip which was like a group of like 20 other i want to say middle-aged they were 30, 30 but it felt very old right <laughs> when you're 8 30 feels really old uh, early 30s and they would they go on their like upright honda motorcycles and go from massachusetts to colorado and back and it was Ooh. just kind of like a sightseeing trip second yeah. time doing it and but this time when she when I was about to go to Georgia to visit my dad, I remember having this like fit, I guess, a tantrum and I didn't want her to go. And I was just like, and it, you know, like I think I was eight, you know, like it was just a tantrum. It, my mom yeah. probably was like, shut up, go, go on your trip. I'm going on my vacation. Exactly. And so I was spending the time with my dad and, you know, my mom would call every once in a while when she would get to the next place. And I remember I had a, a call with her and, you know, they were going towards New York. So they hadn't gone very far, but they were going towards New York and, you know, ended the call. I love you. The normal stuff. The next day I'm at summer camp and my dad's boss's wife picks me up and I'm like, what is this? What's anyway, but also I'm eight, like whatever. It's my <laughs> boss's mom. I mean, wife. And so I, they, she takes me to my dad's office, which was weird. So he normally picked me up. This was a couple hours before he would have picked me up. I remember walking through the office and it was like really quiet. Everyone was kind of like, like looking at me, but also being very quiet and trying to be mm -hmm. busy yeah. looking, I guess, or, you know, heads down. And I walked into my dad's office and he sat me down and he walked to the other side of the desk. And I remember him like sitting on the edge of the desk and he was like, I don't know what he said, but he said basically that my mom had died in an accident. Uh, it was a single vehicle accident that hit an oil slick on the road and both her and her boyfriend were killed in an accident. And at that moment, 
like everything stopped, right? Everything felt like my life was like, I didn't know what was going to happen the next day Yeah, because she was my parent. She was the one that I lived with that she was the one that took care of me. My dad was still my parent, right? But I didn't see him very often and he was living in another state. And so my life got really, really messed around at that point in time. Well, it's kind of like, I mean, like almost like the end of your youth and, you know, Oh yeah. It's like, you know, like the pain begins and like, you know, instantly, you know, like you, you, you have to grow like thrust into it. I agree. And I also think it's because it was late 80, it was 1989. It was, you know, late 80s, early 90s. Nobody was really talking about how to take care of a situation like this for a kid. Right. And so I just remember everyone around me, it felt like their goal was to just make me happy or to not to take me away from the sadness, but not in a productive way, if that makes sense, because (laughs) I don't think they had the tools. I don't think they were prepared, but it was very much like, oh, we'll go to Disney when the time comes or we'll buy you things. We'll get you whatever video game or you know, and I don't think there was any malice in it or anything no, like that. Just... But it was like that was the only thing they knew how to do. They're like thinking kids are resilient; they'll be, yeah, he'll be fine. Be fine. Just like just deflect it for a little while and make him happy. Yeah. But what that did, looking back, right? I'm I'm 42 now, so I'm looking back at this. What that did was make me think that I had to perform. This podcast is humbly sponsored by BetterHelp. As a holistic health coach turned mental health advocate, I know the importance of finding the right support. Why? Because I've been battling anxiety and depression for over 10 years, and I know I'm not the only one who struggles with their mental health. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, BetterHelp is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen. Talk to your therapist in a private, online environment at your convenience. All you do is just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you're matched with the therapist in under 48 hours. I say this all not as someone telling you to simply click on another sponsor, but as someone who's been seeing a better health therapist for the past year. I've never felt more valued, respected, and full of hope for my mental clarity than I do with each passing session with my therapist. Join the 3 million plus people, that plus being me, who have taken charge of their mental health when experience better health therapists. As a special bonus offer to listeners, you get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash fragile moments. That's betterhelp.com slash fragile moments. Remember, just because you need help doesn't mean you're not worth helping. I had to make sure that every adult and every person that ever came into my life knew that I was okay. Yeah. And what a journey that put me on. Sure. Of fear that if I wasn't okay in the eyes of everyone else, that that I would be abandoned again. Yeah. Because my mom abandoned me in my head. I was eight. Yeah. Yeah. I would never see her again. So... It was it was it was quite a shift. So that's why the life shift exists is like at that moment in time, that specific moment when my dad uttered those words, my life changed forever. Uh, But it was quite a long journey to get to this version of me. (laughs) Or, I mean, I'm sure even to realize that that's when like a shift happened, you know, like, I mean, what I mean, I I can't remember a lot of things that specifically that happened when you ate. So now you have this. I don't want to say perfect moment, but like a perfect timestamp that goes this is is when you get to start remembering things a little bit more versus if somebody that didn't experience that, you know, everything is kind of like compiled onto each other. You mm-hmm. know, summer camps, Disneyland, like with all those things, they're just all this conglomeration of events of growing up. But you have this specific timestamp of like, this is when I know that things became a little bit different for me. Yeah. Well, everything was different for me. Yeah. Like I, on my show, I have the the fortune of talking to people and I talked to someone else that lost a, a mom at 12. So close to the same close. age. 
And in our conversation, I was so interested to see this changes. And he was like, yeah, she died. But then the next day I went, you know, the next week I went to school and I was still living in the same house. And I was like, my whole, like mm. I had to move to a new state. I had to live in a new, a new, uh, I had to go to a new school. School had already started in Georgia by the time that I had to come. So I was like the kids starting late. I was the kid with the Boston accent coming to a Georgia school. I was a kid with the dead mom. And I had to like navigate this new world without right. her living with a parent that I knew and I loved, but I also didn't live with him all the time. So when yeah. I was with him normally, it was like vacation. Right. So now I got to like, he's got to like buckle down and like be the actual parent <laughs> and not just the vacation parent. Right. And I have all the rhythms and routines and things like both of you get used to on top of you know, just the, the processing of oh yeah of, of the grief and, oh, yeah. and there's there's the eight year old version and say late thirties for your parents like version as well. Yeah, I think my dad was maybe mid thirties at the time, and also I don't think he had the tools to grieve an ex wife, hmm. you know, someone that he shares a child with, and his parents didn't have that, and her parents didn't have it to begin with, <laughs> didn't have hmm. any of that. And so like nobody around me had the tools and I don't think society was doing much either. I, re mm. I recall going to like the school counselor a few times, but I feel like that was just like a check mark. Like, yeah, that's what you have to do yeah. to make sure he's not like so bad. Right. I mean, it seems like we have a lot of things nowadays too. You know, it's just like a quick form like we need to ask you these questions yeah you know like really just to you know i don't know for lack of better terms like cover your own ass mm -hmm. um like you said but it's like okay like here's this uh and then you know you even have your own kind of like you want like an awareness that okay if i say yes to this oh yeah this is this is going to equate to that i don't want to do that like i don't have time for that you know so yeah i mean i believe you for sure yeah i mean it just it it was just a really obviously a bad circumstance, yeah. but the circumstances after the fact were also bad looking back because it really, like I internalized so much. I, like you said, I had to grow up. I had to, in my mind, no one told me I had to do this, but in my mind, I had to make sure everyone knew I was okay, yeah. that I didn't break down. I didn't know how to grieve. So I pushed that down and everything just got kept, you know, being pushed down. I became a good student because I needed to get good grades to prove those things, right? Which is a good thing. I mean, I, becoming a good student is great. Before, I didn't care. Like, my yeah. mom, you know, loved me anyway, and I think my dad would have as well. But my eight-year-old brain really was afraid, was truly afraid that, like, if I don't do the right things all the time, yeah. then I'm going to be an orphan. And because, you know, my dad's going to leave, too. And so it, it just kept going. And, you know, and like we fast forward to my teen years, I would say when I was about 16, that was the first time that I truly broke down over the loss of my mom. So imagine eight years eight of years. just like a mess. <laughs> but an interesting, I mean, an, an interesting mess sounds strange to say, but like an interesting like path of mess because... I don't know, like a lot of times you hear the complete opposite, right? Like and that it, it like, to me, I agree. I, I could see that completely happening more than the other, but it, it doesn't seem to always play out. If the person feels like they have to do the right thing and you know perform, like you said, it's like the other way. But then we also kind of understand that like, oh, well, his, his mom died when he was mm -hmm. eight. Like, of course he's throwing rocks at other kids, you know, like right. we kind of, we can both, both directions, we have the same excuse that it's like, okay, we'll just, you know, taking the Disney world, like he'll be fine. You know, we're either one, we're not processing like how that happened, but why well, I'm going to interject with a question then. Like, so why do you think that is? Like, why do you think you went like that as far as I, I need to make sure everybody like thinks I'm okay versus this is my free time to like not be okay. And people will be like, it's, it's fine that he did. That. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I went, I don't, it could play that I was an only child as well. Yeah. And so, you know, growing up, I didn't have any cousins. I didn't have any siblings. 
I wasn't around a ton of kids except for school. Mm. And I wonder if the fact that like, I would always go to my dad's softball games and hang out with all the adults there, you know, and, and talk to them as if I was an adult. So I don't know, maybe I absorb some of that. I don't know what the statistics are of like only children losing a parent versus multiple siblings. I could see that if I had multiple siblings, it would be easier to act out because there's always that, that counterbalance or there's always that other person (laughs) that blame can be put on. (laughs) But I truly do think, you know, and it comes to play way later in my journey. I really do think that my brain was, got stuck. Like my emotional side of my brain, I guess, got stuck at eight. Yeah. And so everything was out of fear that I was going to have that same feeling again. Again. You know, like that same loss if I do anything out of line. And so I don't know why, because I was never pressured. Yeah. To be that way. But I also do feel that the way that, you know, my grandparents and my father and everyone reacted by making sure that I felt okay or not felt okay, that I wasn't sad or that I was happy. I think that naturally went into my brain as, oh, this is what they want from me. Yeah. And the only way that they can get this from me or the only way I can make them feel happy because I'm happy is if I do these things. To behave that way. Do you think that like a lot of those people in your life, the adults there, like looking back now, like couldn't process emotions very well either. And so it's like, you know, okay, well, if we just keep him at bay and and do these things, like we don't have to have that tough conversation with them, you know, I'll give you an example of how it like just inadvertently pops up. So, and this is, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm relating this to a dog, but my family dog passed away and we had him for like 16 years and my son's two. And he's aware that that dog was there at our grandparents' house and that it wasn't. And we don't shy away from the fact that like bad things happen. Like he knows that my wife's um, father, you know, is in heaven because, you know, her mom talks about grandpa and those pictures. Who's that? And he's in heaven. So he's heard that. And we were sitting there two days ago and like his desk and like, the chair that I like feed the bottle to our 10 month old is like next to each other. He's just thinking, we're just talking about it dog and haircuts um because we have a dog with like short hair i'm like well really cut bella's hair um she's got short hair my parents have a, a second dog as well that they've had for years and he has long hair really like, well baxter would be an example baxter needs a haircut and then he pauses and he's like i want to go see sydney sydney's the dog that passed away and i'm like well i was like a month ago um and we did tell you like you know what happened like that's what i'm saying in my head. like i'm trying not to look at you what does he have to say? I was like, me too, bud. I do. I was like, do you remember where Sydney is? And he goes, Sydney's in heaven. I'm like, yeah, bud. Yeah. And I'm like, trying to still, I, this is going to get worse, isn't it? What are you going to do to me? And he's munching on his like raisins or whatever he was doing. He goes, I want Sydney to come home. And I'm mm-hmm. like, hmm, yeah, I do. And it's like, so like, he's like somewhere there was a connection of like, and he could like, it could like, he could see that I'm sad. And like, I, you know, he, he knew like there was something like that was happening there, but like I could have that conversation with him and I don't know where that came. My parents are pretty like ongoing, you know, easygoing when it comes to emotions. But I think that's a lot of what happens. You know, we just, well, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with this myself. I for sure don't want my kid to ask that question because A, that means I have to process it. Right. And then B, now I got to explain it to them and my body. And, you know, and so we just kind of dance around and, you know, did I need to tell our, you know, our, our son that, a, you know, a dog died or like an adult that's been gone for 10 years from cancer is, is you know, in heaven? No. And, and you can say it in a way that's not so rough, but right. no, no pun intended, but it's like, you know, that not saying it to any degree or, or not like is not allowing you to, to even just even want to like venture and stick a foot over the border and go, um, yeah. There's this other feeling creeping in while I'm doing all this. And what is that? You know, we didn't allow that for you, though. Sorry, it was a long-winded way to get there, but... I, I just think that the adults in my life just did not have parents that knew how to do it. And so that yeah. didn't get passed down. And I don't, I don't have any blame on anyone for that. In fact, yeah. you know, my dad's mom 
became kind of like a surrogate mom for me. And until the day she died, she never would go into much detail about my mom because she was so close with her. Even though she was my dad's mom, she was really close to my mom even after the divorce and all that stuff. And so she wasn't prepared even till the day she died. And, you know, I just think that it's kind of like when people nowadays, when people are like, how are you? And the expected answer is good, you, right? Yeah. If someone were to say, well, actually, dot, 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 a lot of people are not equipped. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. It's the same thing when you reference, you know, like a lot of schools are doing like cover their butt kind of things, or a lot of places do that because they're not prepared to do the other parts, yeah. the harder parts. It's because hard. You get to the talk same response. That. If you were like, well, I'm not okay, you'd be like, yeah. Good. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you, you still wouldn't answer with an appropriate, you know, to response that like, oh man, like, let, well, tell me about it. You know, like, you know, yeah. let's go sit. You know, you still wouldn't do that. You're right. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's like, I don't know, it took, it took eight years for me to like have a little bit of a breakdown. I'm sure I cried here and there throughout those other years, but this one really knocked me on my butt, but it didn't, it didn't change anything. It didn't, it actually opened the floodgates for me to kind of use my mom's death as a crutch. And so kind of when you were like, side note, like his mom died, like you can excuse that. I took that. Uh, to the utmost advantage, which was really looking back. I mean, it was very childish of me, but also I was a teenager. And if you can remember high school, there were a lot of your mom jokes. And so my defense mechanism was always like, bring it on, like say it. Because my response being a little jerk was just like, she's dead. And then everyone, and then I enjoyed the face that they would yeah. make after they said it, except for the ones that just went on with it. And then they, <laughs> that was a whole other story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know, like I, I found myself from 16 on and into my twenties using the fact that my mom died as an excuse, either for a positive or for a negative. Mm-hmm. So if something really well went, something went well in my life, it was because my mom died. Like it was a pity. It was a, People felt bad for me. So I got this. If something went bad, it was because my mom died. Like I didn't do well in this particular test because my mom died. When all it was, was me just like trying to use it for a crutch. (laughs) I wasn't ready to dissect what my life was like. And so it took me about two decades, I would say, to fully grieve my mom. And people get mad at me when I say like I fully grieved my mom or I closed the door on my mom's death. But I really, truly think I have. Uh, In my 30s, I was going through some stuff at work and work was just killing my soul. And so I was like, I'm going to therapist. I'm going to, I got to figure this out. And I'm sure it was attached to that eight-year-old version of me. Right. But if you've ever been to therapy, if anyone listening has ever been to therapy, hopefully you have. And hopefully, (laughs) hopefully people are taking that as a good thing. And not just when things are bad, but that's what I was trained to do. So when things got bad, I decided it was that's time either. for therapy. Right. Took me five therapists before I found one that I fit with, which I think which is normal. Happen. Yeah. I think most people are not going to find the right therapist on the first try. Right. The point is you got to keep trying. And so I found her and we're talking and she was like very hippie, which is totally not me. I was very like type A, mm-hmm. very straight laced get A's only kind of thing and like not let things go, you know, by the wayside or whatever. And we were talking and I was telling her my whole life story and all the stupid things that I did and all the the fear-based decisions I was making throughout my entire life, taking the easier road because I knew that would give me the best results so that my family would be happy. And she was like, you realize that every decision that you've made your entire life, you've made as that eight-year-old version of you, and like I sat there and I was like, like oh, man. one of those moments where like the clouds part, the curtains yeah. rise, everything makes sense. And then you're just like, now what, what have I done <laughs> to my entire life? I mean, it served me really well. Fear-based <laughs> decisions served me well. Like I did well in school. I, I checked all the boxes that were quote unquote required of me in life. Yeah. But also the fact that she like unveiled that I would 
I spent the next couple months just like tracing back every decision. I'm like, you know what? It was all the fear of abandonment. It was all the fear that I was going to have that feeling again of someone leaving me. And I feel like that was truly the start of the end of like grieving my mom and kind of fully processing that understanding that, you know, at this point in my life, I really, unfortunately don't really remember my mom. And so it's more of a figment. It's more of like this like idea that I I know who she is. I have pictures of her, but I don't know what she sounds like. I don't remember like how she walked. I don't remember any of those kind of things. Uh, But I do feel that I needed that, that journey And then that exposure of like, look what you did. You screwed it all up. But I I learned a lot from that. And then moving forward, I was able to kind of create stronger relationships with the people around me uh, because of that. But two decades of like, just like like, being lost. I I hear like, you know, that like people like have like take issue with fully processing. Like that doesn't mean like any bit of the, like your feelings, your emotions, your love, like you naturally are going to forget yeah it's just because they become distance like fully processing doesn't mean like you're not going to still miss the person you right. know it doesn't mean that you know any of those other positive attachments like go away it's just that it, i mean maybe fully understanding maybe like completely grasping like you know what went on i don't know like a better phrase but i mean i think that's yeah i I don't know is what it feels like maybe for some people and like, you know, like upset at you. Cause it's like, wait, like people <laughs> yeah, didn't they, get there yet. Like how yeah. did you do that? You know? And that's how it comes out. But <laughs> I just think they think it, it sits, it sits with you and grows with you. And maybe it does. Yeah. And maybe, but I feel like I don't think about it or her. Well, now I do with the podcast cause I'm <laughs> always talking about it, but I, I, it's not something that consumes my thoughts and, yeah. you know, I have accepted the fact that I was eight years old and you don't have a ton of memories before you're eight that you, like you said, they're kind of all just like meshed together and, and just like kind of a blob of memories. And the older you get, the more you forget. But Mm. I think that journey and the struggles that I had created a version of me that was able to get even deeper in relationships, like with my grandmother, like she took over mom duties essentially, right? Like she was that, that person that helped, even though she didn't have the ability to like talk about my mom and do things like that. But because I didn't get the opportunity to really say goodbye to my mom or process that at that moment, when my grandmother was diagnosed with lung cancer, uh, and like, I want to say like 2012, I feel like I did everything right. I feel like I did everything that I wish I would have been able to do with my mom or have the wherewithal. Like we had, you know, I took her to see her boyfriend, Josh Groban. I don't know if you're familiar with her, uh, him, but that was her boyfriend. And like, we went front row, like she was a kid in a candy store. Like she was at like a Taylor Swift concert, like, you know, that vibe. She was just so excited. And we did all these things together because I wanted her to have these last moments. And Mm -hmm. as it got closer to the end, Uh, I did what I wish every single person would have the strength to do is as if you've ever dealt with someone dying of cancer, you know, that like things kind of like slow, slow, slow. And then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. everything starts going. And when I knew she was kind of losing the ability to have like a full day of lucid thoughts and conversations, I told her, I said, it's time. We're going to have this conversation right now. And I sat down with her and for probably a couple hours, we told each other every single thing that you possibly can. that we loved about each other, that we experienced together, that we were thankful for, that we were grateful for to, to the point that when I left her apartment that day, I was fully convinced she was going to die and I was going to be okay because there was nothing left unsaid, right? There's... yeah. How many times have you heard people that are like, they say all the things at the funeral or they're like, I wish I would have told them this. And I was like, had I not quote unquote failed my grief journey with my mom, I don't think I would have done that. Yeah. You know, and it was so valuable to me and I'll never have a better moment in my life. I can't, I can't imagine. I mean, it was sad, right? But wow, fulfilling. 
Yeah. Like something that I wish everyone could have. And so I think, you know, as, as, as tough it was, as it was to have that long grief journey, I'm so thankful for what I've learned because of it. I was going to say, it was the lesson that you found in that, yeah. You know, I spent the last 96 hours of my grandmother's life next to her bed in her hospice house room. It's like a hotel almost. And I just sat there because I know she would have done it for me. Yeah. You know, she wasn't really there anymore at that point because we were very near the end, but she knew I was there, you know, to the point where I was so exhausted because you're just like, you're literally just sitting there. My dad's like, you should leave. I'm like, well, I can't leave. I'm just, I'm here till the end. And I took a nap. I was so tired. And my dad and my uncle woke me up and they're like, I think it's time. I went and sat next to her bed and I like rubbed her head and I was like, you can go, I'm here. And she was gone in like five minutes. And so to yeah. the point she knew I was there, she knew that I was waiting or she was waiting for me. And she knew that I wanted to be a part of that. And it was, again, it's like people look at those moments and they don't have the ability to, to see the beauty in them. Yeah. And I think because of that long journey that I had with my mom's death, I was able to see how beautiful that last mm-hmm. breath is. And to be a part of that was just like, so uh, I'm honored, you know, it's like, I, yeah. I call it devastatingly beautiful because it's a beautiful way to put it too, uh, you know, cause my heart like turned to dust at that moment. But at the same time <laughs> I saw the beauty in it, which yeah. sounds so morbid, but you know what I mean? No, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's like a moment that, I think we kind of, you know, tag with like being magical and like that doesn't happen, you know, like you don't get to just sit at somebody's bedside and saying goodbye. And it does, you know, to maybe not to like that immediate degree where it's like I said goodbye and then they passed away, like, mm-hmm. you know, like as soon as they, but it, but to some degree, like if you believe in that and, and I, I mean, I can, I could certainly like believe in that too. I've never been that you've experienced that myself, but you know, it's, it's not a. It's not as magical. It's not to take it away. It's not as magical as it, it seems to be. You have to be the one to take hold of that moment, mm. though, and that's that's what you, you know. You you did there. You yeah. Know, that you you saw that, and we're like, no, like I'm not going to be the one standing over your grave and be you know wishing that I said these things or wishing that I grabbed that that that, no. that 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 piece of life that was left and said what I needed. You, you know, that's what it's about. Is not waiting for the moment you you you, you have to fragile moment yeah and and claimed it so that you could say i had right you're right i mean how do you now I you compare it. everything to that. yeah she was I so mean, mad but she loved it you know like it was so good but it was like because like i said before she like hadn't talked about my mom very much after she mm. after she died and she wasn't someone that would she would write it maybe she would write out like niceties and, and things like that but i forced it i was like no we're doing it and she's like i'm not dying i'm not dead yet and i was like we're still doing it you know like it's we had to have that conversation it's funny you mentioned the grave piece because a lot of people will um my mom is they're both buried like across the street from each other and the feeling that i get when i go to each of their graves is quite different yeah when I go to my mom's grave, I get mad. I get really angry and I don't really know why, but I get really mad about every everything around it. Like the stones aren't lined up. The thing, nobody's coming here. Why is she, this is a waste. What am I supposed to do here? I go to my grandmother's grave and I'm just like, here's your flowers. Feel good about this. It feels very peaceful. And it's very, mm. very odd, but I can physically feel the difference mm. in emotions when I go from one to the other. Don't know why that yeah, happens, but really, I mean, could just be I mean, it could just be another piece of that puzzle that you know you, mm-hmm. you, you were missing. It's it's not this process. And, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a closure thing. Know, but yeah, yeah. You know, but I, I mean, how do you ever? I mean, that's that's uh, that's on you to close <laughs> that, right? I mean, they they can't do that now. You know, maybe like my it's... grief journey isn't closed. <laughs> Sorry, you're good. No, I mean, it, you know, it's not that it's not closed. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's that piece that, and it may never be like, you know, it's just always going to be that. And just go, okay, well, 
you know, this is a feeling that goes there, or you choose to explore it. But I don't, you know, I, I don't know if that's a bad thing. I think yeah. it's just, you know, it's, it's so just fascinating, that, though. The yeah, human. I mean, being a human is weird. End, you know, <laughs> do you know, I mean, do you notice that, like, I'm, I'm one of those people that believes, like, so I've had nobody, like, well, nobody, like, immediately close that I was old enough to process. Yeah. Um, my mom's mother passed away, like, her older sister, when we were, like, in middle school. Like I said, my wife's dad passed away, and I met him all together like a handful of times and like two of those like he was healthy and the last ones were like the last breath mm -hmm. um you know kind of situation and i can remember my wife calling me like when i brought i was out with my brother like at the mall or something like that and she was like i need your car like my dad is 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 dying and my mom said that i need to get up there so you know from north carolina to connecticut so same thing too like it was like she, he waited mm -hmm. um but like everybody like in our family like um as far as it you know uh, grandmothers and you know my, my mom's uh, older sister we believe there's like an incarnation of like like they're a bird i don't mm. know why the way they have no attachment but like cardinal is what it is for like my, my mom's older sister and been gone for like 20 years and i always anytime i'm like feeling stressed which is like nine times out of ten when i'm home with my kids but there's like a moment where i'm supposed to stop and i'm supposed to really like think about this situation if I look out the window, like there it is, like it's Cardinal. sitting in like a perfect spot. And I just have learned to just be like, all right, all right, I got you. I got it. I got it. I got it. You know, like, do you notice anything like that around? Like, you like, just the stones throughout the place, but maybe next time you'll look, look even harder. Are there things that are like, hey, like I'm here? Like, not really. Okay. Not uh -huh. with my mom. I, I think it's because I really don't remember her. And I yeah. think, you know, the anger. Now that I say it out loud, I think some of it comes from I was eight when I saw her dead body and I didn't understand death yeah. right at the time. And when I saw my grandmother's dead body, I was older and I had the closure and I had the conversations and everything. There was nothing like there. I didn't have any words left unsaid. Yeah. And so I think that's probably part of it. There's a little bit of anger there. To the point, and this is, you can cut this out if you want, but <laughs> the weird thoughts in my head, and I still think I might do it someday, in which I might want to take her out of there and, and, and like close, close that myself with like a cremation or something along those lines. I, there is a burden, and I don't know if other people feel this way. There is a burden when someone dies young and you live out of state and they're, their grave is somewhere else especially as a kid losing your parent you yeah. feel this obligation to go regularly and then you get there and you're like well what do i do what do i do here why do i feel the guilt to not go and then when i get there i'm like what am i doing here yeah. so there's there's that component and i think that someday that closure might come by me having enough money to do that uh, i can see that too yeah know. i mean it's something I've, i mean i mean you know it's weird anything like that close to me but yeah no, my, my my wife's father passing away. Like, I mean, I, I mean, we were we haven't even met. Like, they, mm. like, he knew that we were engaged. Lucid and it wasn't. Yeah, but he at least knew that. But no connection whatever. But it was like, you know, here I am carrying a coffin inside a church with all these people that barely knew me. I got flung into when I first met her. It was like within a couple, we both met at like a training training facility for the Montessori teachers that we were becoming. Um, and like within like, you know, within like a year, it was like, you want to go to this wedding with my cousin? And it was like, everybody was there. So I met everybody, but the here is this, this guy who just met like a couple of years ago, carrying a very important person's yeah. coffin. And so I'm like so watching this funeral experience from where I completely not, I don't want to say non-attached, it sounds very insensitive, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. non-attached, like I can see it. You're just performing just for emotions. being like what it is. And like my wife will tell you the same thing that like the experience of like what happened, like the funeral part of it from like the, you know, observing the body to the funeral. He was a fire and towards the end of his life last maybe I think 20 years was like he was a um, chief of the, the fire department there where they lived. And so that comes with this whole like and they lived in the same town for, you know, 30 plus years. So, you know, everybody in a very small town. But they didn't do that funeral for the family. They did it for the friends. My wife will tell you she would never, it's not that he didn't want that, but they knew that like the friends and the, you know, the family around needed that. But it was like exhausting mentally mm -hmm. and emotionally for her. And I'm sure her older sister, 
because here, and I'm standing next to her because I'm a fiance. Like, I don't know any of these people really. Everybody's coming up to you. Like, I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm so sorry for your loss. And it's just like pounding at you. Mm -hmm. But like, it's like a whole different closure for her because she, you know, she got to experience these people that she didn't like really know, know that, you know, from her father, like hear these like stories that maybe she didn't get to hear. Yeah. And then she's get, she gets to be the one that ultimately, you know, puts him in the grave. Um, and then, you know, 10 years down the line, I mean, she still gets, you know, teary when it comes to that time of year. Yeah. Um, cause it was his birthday. No, excuse me. He died. And then it was his birthday. Um, so it's like right on top of each other. But the thing that frustrates her the most about it is that she came back here to North Carolina and like inside her head, everything's being, you know, thrown at her and, you know, her whole world came crashing down. Mm -hmm. Nobody even, even cared. Nobody knew what happened. So you just kind of get thrust into it. But that's yeah. the one thing that solidified it for her to help move it is that she, she got to finally finalized the, the mm -hmm. moment that her father passed away so yeah I, I mean i could completely agree with that being is that why you get angry when you're there i don't know but yeah it's I it's could, i could certainly see that being the case because you're right i mean what did you get to how did you get to to really you know put a pin on it you know yeah i was super awkward at the the wake and i mean but like i was eight you know yeah. and <laughs> You should be. Yeah. The, the <laughs> priest was talking or whoever he was. I don't know what he was. And I just walked up to the casket and everyone's looking at I was. Yeah. I remember it just being really what weird. Do? What is he? Okay. Is right. He gonna... You know, and then it's like, do I do we go up and get him? You know, like there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of stuff that goes on with that. But, you know, it's just quite a journey. But yeah. to your point and, and the reason you have this show and the reason I have my show is that like we need to talk about these things. And so that yeah. the next time that some little kid loses his parent we're equipped yeah. we can t we can say like don't Something. bottle it up yeah. you know anything like let's just talk about you want to talk about her and if they don't then they don't but you know yeah. like open the door to these things i think we're yeah. in a better space now in 2023 yeah. that people are more willing to do so but it's still still not that age I, I can't tell you how many like parenting like things i follow just to like hear it and yeah uh, you know again that's what's spurring another conversation just to have that conversation directly but it's still like a like a like a strange anomaly for it's like well your kid your kid is acting out against the retarded toddlers your kid's acting out because they don't they haven't fully formed that that, that reasoning skill and you know right. you should be meeting them with compassion and both no kidding like yeah no kidding like is it frustrating to watch them like tell me like back and forth like i want to do this no i don't want to do that and take it out it's like no i want to just yeah but step back for a second like you know go back to the simple things like sleep how many times it's like oh man like i guess you're not getting any sleep no but i'm also not staying up to 11 trying to like watch netflix all night right you know i'm aware of the fact that he doesn't he doesn't, i don't sleep well like name any adult that like has their like you know, their schedule down pat and that skill learn, you know, right. it's the same thing. Like, no, of course he's going to be upset and or she's going to throw a tantrum at that. They don't know what they're doing, you know? Right. So yeah, you have to have that conversation. Does it have to be like, yo, your mom's dead. Deal with the kid. No, you can certainly say it in a way. I don't think that to me. That would be terrible. Right. But you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it doesn't have to be this like harsh full yeah. on. There is a way to say it, you know, but you're right. I mean, we... If you don't say it at all, though, yeah, I have just, an adult that doesn't know how to do that all over again. It, you know, we never, you never close that chapter, and we're like, okay, this ends with my decade and my generation. Yeah, my kids or the kids that I'm interacting with, if I'm a grandparent, are not because they're going to hear that. I hope so. I tell, yeah. my, I tell my kid, I, I mean, like he knows. Like if I, if one of my, if my wife does this, she will look at it and be like is mommy okay? I'm like, yeah, she's, fine. she's just tired, you know, yeah. or, or we're not like, right. we, we will tell him we're okay. Just a little sad, a little tired, yeah. a little sad, you know, that, that, that moved mountains for an adult later on in life. He'll be like, is he going to exactly. be like way oversensitive? Maybe, but I'd rather him Maybe be sensitive not. than not, <laughs> you know, like, I just feel like afraid if of that. I was eight. So if someone talked to me, I think I would have wanted to know the details because yeah. what happened is, you know, like she was in a motorcycle accident, so she died from her injuries. It was an open casket. So I saw co makeup covered up injuries. 
nobody talked to me about that, yeah. you know, or I would say like, this was back before they like glue, this is getting really morbid before they glued eyelids shut. Now back then they sewed them. So I was confused as to why there were stitches. I was, con- you know, and so if someone would have been like, okay, here's the whole deal. Here's what here's how she- Because growing up, I, you know, I would convince myself, this is grief talking, but I would convince myself that that wasn't really her in there. I would convince myself that she was in witness protection and she was going to come back someday until I was 18 and I contacted the hospital she died in. And I was like, send me the autopsy. I need the whole thing. And I don't know that I wanted to read that when I was 18, but that was how I knew that all of it was true. If other people had just explained that to me as a kid, maybe not in so many details that the autopsy goes into, but at the same time, like, this is how she actually died. I think it would have made more sense. It would have been more helpful to me. But again, people didn't have the tools. They didn't understand how to do that. And they were uncomfortable talking about it themselves. So, yeah. you know, we can't fault anyone from that. But this journey, you know, just to kind of wrap this up for you, mm-hmm. you know, the journey really has taught me who I am. And yeah. and it's weird to say this, but like, I wouldn't change a thing. You know, yeah. I, if I could go back in time, and my mom didn't, I wouldn't be this person. So, you know, I'm grateful for where I came because of it. I'm grateful that I get to do this podcast and talk to people with about deeply personal conversations similar to the way that you do. So, you know, we have to kind of just hold on to our experiences and see what we can learn from them and kind of build from there. And it's, it's been a, it's been a good one despite the tragedies that I just described. What's Your Story is produced by me, JD, with background piano music by Chad Lawson. These beautiful, inspiring, wonderful stories, they're all yours, listener. So if you've got a story you want to share, you can do so by heading to fragilemoments.org slash tellyourstory. If there's something that rang a bell with you today or something that truly touched your heart in today's episode, let me know by sending me an email at jd.jedi at fragilemoments.org. Or you can just tag the show at at StorySharingPod on Twitter as well as Instagram. Thanks once again for choosing to listen, and I look forward to hearing your story one day, because we all have within us a story to tell, a song yet unsung.